a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Coming up in the program. Presidents Xi Jinping and Joe Biden pledged to defuse tensions and get bilateral ties back on track at their San Francisco summit. More Chinese cities see home prices declining in October, but transaction volumes are up in the first 10 months of the year. And today in our special series, Biz Focus. Leaders from Africa gathered in Hainan province to better understand how China is supporting growth and development in its rural areas. And we start with China-U.S. relations, where Chinese President Xi Jinping has proposed five pillars to ease strained relations, restore trust and respect, and push cooperation between China and the United States for the good of the world. President Xi made the remarks during a summit on Wednesday with U.S. President Joe Biden in San Francisco. Our Lu Wei has more. President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden met for a summit during Xi's first trip to the United States in six years. It is their first meeting in a year since they last met on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali. In opening remarks, President Xi underscored his long-standing view that cooperation between the world's two largest economies will benefit both their peoples and the rest of the world. He said China-U.S. relations should be perceived in the broad context of global transformations unseen in a century and pointed out that major country competition cannot solve the problems facing the two nations or the world. President Xi said the world is big enough for the two countries to succeed. My view is consistent, which is that major country competition is not a prevailing trend of current times and cannot solve the problems facing China and the United States or the world at large. Planet Earth is big enough for the two countries to succeed, and one country's success is an opportunity for the other. During their talks, President Xi explained Chinese modernization and its significance. President Xi made it clear that China does not have a plan to unseat the United States. But the Chinese president said the U.S. should not scheme to suppress and contain China. He said that despite differences in culture and social systems, mutual respect could pave the way for more promising relations. It is an objective fact that China and the United States are different in history, culture, social system, and development path. However, as long as we respect each other, coexist in peace and pursue win-win cooperation, we will be fully capable of rising above differences and find the right way for the two major countries to get along with each other. I firmly believe in the promising future of the bilateral relationship. President Xi pointed out that mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation are the lessons learned from 50 years of China-U.S. relations and from geopolitical conflicts in history. He called on China and the U.S. to exert more effort in putting these lessons into practice. The Chinese president proposed building together five pillars for better bilateral ties. First, developing a right perception of each other so the two countries can coexist in mutual respect and peace. Second, managing disagreements and untoward incidents effectively through calm, frequent communication. 
Third, advancing mutually beneficial, not just in traditional areas like trade, but in emerging and urgent issues such as climate change and artificial intelligence. Fourth, shouldering responsibilities as major countries by stepping up coordination and cooperation on international and regional issues. Fifth, promoting people-to-people exchanges. President Xi Jinping also reaffirmed China's position on the Taiwan question. He told the U.S. to stop arming Taiwan and support China's peaceful reunification, stressing that China's reunification with the Taiwan region is unstoppable. On trade, he urged the U.S. to lift export controls and unilateral sanctions on Chinese economic entities, saying these actions hurt China's legitimate interests. President Xi said technological innovation is a driver of China's high-quality development. Attempts to stifle the country's technological growth are moves to contain the progress of China and its people. For his part, President Biden said it was important to keep the two countries' competition in check and called for joint efforts to tackle common challenges. We have to ensure that competition does not veer into conflict. And we also have to manage it responsibly, the competition. That's what the United States want and what we intend to do. We also, I also believe it's a world wants for both of us, candid exchange. We also have a responsibility to our people and the work in the world uh, to work together when we see it in our interest to do so. The U.S. president said a stable and developing China serves the interests of the U.S. and the world. President Biden reaffirmed his own five points. The U.S. does not seek a new Cold War or to change the Chinese system. It does not seek to strengthen alliances against China. The U.S. does not support Taiwan independence and has no intention of conflict with China. Presidents Xi and Biden acknowledge China-U.S. ties as the most important bilateral relationship in the world. They called on all countries to treat each other with respect, find a way to coexist peacefully, and maintain open lines of communication. They stress the importance of preventing conflict, upholding the UN Charter, cooperating on areas of shared interest, and managing competitive aspects of the relationship. The two presidents agreed to promote dialogue and cooperation on emerging issues such as artificial intelligence, and to resume high-level military-to-military communication on the basis of equality and respect. They agreed to further increase passenger flights between the U.S. and China early next year, and expand educational, student, youth, cultural, sports, and business exchanges. The two leaders will accelerate joint efforts. To tackle the climate crisis in this critical decade, after the summit, President Biden hosted a lunch for President Xi, where the two leaders' discussions on international issues included the Israel-Palestine conflict. They also took a walk at Falali Estate and agreed to maintain regular contact. And President Xi Jinping emphasized the importance of more viable channels of communication in the face of challenges to China-U.S. relations. He made the remarks in a speech to top U.S. executives at a reception in his honor. Take a listen. The future of China-U.S. relations will be created by people. The more difficult times are, the more necessary it is to strengthen our bounds and enhance people-to-people communication. We need more people to stand out and speak for China-U.S. relations. 
We should build more bridges and pave more roads for interaction. We must not erect barriers or create a chilling effect. Leaders from APEC member economies and top global decision makers have gathered for the annual APEC CEO meeting in San Francisco. Our reporter Xu Xinchen captured a feeling of optimism from the delegates following the meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden. The APEC 2023 CEO Summit kicked off on Wednesday with discussions over climate change, sustainability and technology. Chinese President Xi Jinping is in San Francisco for the international event and met with his U.S. counterpart, President Joe Biden. And the APEC attendees are keeping a close watch on exchanges by both presidents. Looking forward to a more meaningful exchange. Uh, without the protectionist policies, without the prejudice, China has emerged and uh, as an important player. And we in the region want uh, this recognition to, re- uh, to react and accept China as a great friend and a great ally. And it's, it's not a zero-sum game. I think there's really a great degree of uh, optimism and expectation from the meeting between uh, the leaders of two economic superpowers in this world, I believe. The climate of doing business is is difficult, but having two of the world leaders getting together and uh, setting the path and the right tone for the discussions that will happen at APEC, I think it will be, so the whole event will be watched with a lot of interest. I think President Xi coming here to California, meeting with President Biden this morning, I know they talked about a lot of topics. The most important thing is making sure that we're always in communication. During the two leaders' opening remark, President Xi said that uh, protectionism is weighing on global economy and the planet Earth is big enough for both countries to succeed. And that echoes back to the APEC CEO summit happening here in San Francisco, creating a resilient and sustainable future for all. San Francisco. In robust China-U.S. trade figures are a strong indicator of the resilient links between the world's top two economies. Bilateral trade in goods hit a record of roughly 760 billion U.S. dollars last year. That is up six-tenths of one percent compared to the previous year. Notably, the trade volume of agricultural products exceeded 50 billion U.S. dollars. Now, according to China's embassy in the United States, over 70,000 American companies did business here in China last year, and 90% of them were profitable. Now, earlier, CGTN spoke with Stephen Orleans, president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, to get his take on China-U.S. trade. Take a listen. When you have developed sources, it is not, you know, people say, well, just change sources. Well, it's not so easy. You need qualified suppliers, you need an infrastructure, and you need a lot of things. So all this talk of trade decoupling. There has been limited trade decoupling, where if you use China as a supply chain, you've moved to Vietnam or you've moved to Cambodia or you've moved to Sri Lanka or somewhere else. That has occurred, but it's it's quite limited in how it has occurred. The other is a lot of the trade um, and investment is in China for China. That's not going to leave. You're not going to sit there and put a facility in Vietnam to sell to China. Maybe you'll have a facility in China that will help you sell to Vietnam. So that has continued. It's much more difficult to change a supply chain than political people think. And for more on China-U.S. relations, I want to bring in Michael Hart, president of the American Chamber of Commerce here in China. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the program and welcome. Nice to join you. Michael, I want to get your main takeaways first from the summit between 
of course, President Xi Jinping and President Joe Biden in San Francisco. What key messages stood out to you? And do you feel that after this summit, bilateral relations perhaps have a good chance to stabilize? Right. So there were a number of things that we heard that were pretty helpful uh, and aligned with our views. One, uh, we also agreed that the U.S. and China have a lot to gain from working together. Uh, we also believe that in many ways we're very aligned. We have been advocating for these people-to-people -people exchanges, which I heard. Um, we break them down by government, business, academic, students, and tourists. So it's good to hear all of those are also aligned with what President Xi was saying and that there will be more flights next year to make that happen. So a lot of really positive places to, con to uh, cooperate. Um, and in general, I think um, the business sentiment, um, I think, will improve. Our members have told us for the past three years their number one concern was U.S.-China relations. And so anything that can improve the sentiment uh, and improve the dialogue between the two governments uh, will certainly help uh, companies here and I think sentiment and trade between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, I just want to get your perspectives on two comments that uh, President Xi made in San Francisco. The first being was that he said the world is big enough to accommodate both China and the United States and that one country's success is an opportunity for the other. Another comment made by President Xi was that under the current circumstances, the common interests of the two countries have not decreased but actually increased. What's your take on both of these comments? Yeah, well, I would certainly agree that uh, when one of us succeeds, the other one does as well. Our economies are really tied together. And so actually the past couple of decades, people may not realize it, but for the past couple of decades, um, when you know China's economy is doing well, it means U.S., for example, agriculture can sell more uh, to China. When um, China is producing more efficiently and effectively, then it means that U.S. consumers can get goods at a better price. So certainly there's a lot for us to gain together. On the second question, it's absolutely true, particularly if we look at things like the environment, that the world is looking to China and the United States uh, to lead the way. You know, we're both the largest two carbon emitters, so we have a lot, uh, a lot to do there in terms of um, leading the way by example. Um, but again, if U.S. and China have a peaceful coexistence, it actually puts everybody else at ease and we can have more trade and more, uh, more of the economy that works for everybody globally. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Many thanks for your thoughts on all of that, Michael. Michael Hart, President of the American Chamber of Commerce here in China. Thank you. Well, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC Economic Leaders Meeting, has been taking place over in San Francisco, California. China has been a pioneer in the express delivery sector. Kowal Preet, President of the Asia-Pacific, Middle East, and Africa at American multinational courier delivery company FedEx, told CGTN she is confident about the growth opportunities in the logistics sector in APEC's 21-member economies, especially here in China, which is the largest express delivery market in the world. Asia-Pacific, as you know, the APEC economies are on track to deliver two-thirds of the global growth in calendar year 23. Asia-Pacific is the powerhouse of manufacturing, trade, and innovation. It's the most exciting, dynamic, and vibrant part of our international business. This is where the opportunity is. Um, recently in China, we showcased our solutions, including sustainability, at the China International Import Expo. We have close to 300 flights weekly in and out of China, connecting the world to China. Well, APEC has greatly benefited the Asia-Pacific region by promoting regional economic growth, fostering cooperation among member economies, and advancing trade, investment, and economic development. Here's a closer look at how APEC's 21 member economies contributes to global growth.
APEC, established in 1989 in Australia, has evolved into a vital force for economic growth and a significant regional forum in the Asia Pacific. Through a range of initiatives, APEC has helped foster economic integration, trade promotion, and sustainability while addressing social equity. As of October 2023, APEC economies have implemented 633 trade facilitating measures. APEC's efforts have resulted in remarkable growth over the past three decades, with the region's total merchandise trade increasing over nine times, surpassing global trends. Its 21 member economies now represented approximately 62% of world GDP and 47% of world trade. Its efforts have helped the Asia Pacific population experience a nearly fourfold rise in per capita income, besides lifting millions out of poverty. In 2023, the APEC region is projected to achieve 3.3% economic growth, outpacing global averages by promoting regional cohesion, reducing trade barriers, and harmonizing regulations. Relations, APEC has bolstered trade, contributing to enhanced prosperity in the region. Well, China's top economic planner has pledged to do more to boost domestic demand, support private enterprises, and attract a foreign investment. The National Development and Reform Commission, the NDRC, saying the Chinese economy maintained an upward trend in October as production and supply increased steadily and market expectations remained stable. Speaking at a press conference here in Beijing on Thursday, officials said the commission would enhance communication with private companies and offer more policy support. It also pledged to promote a wider opening up of the service industry and a fair competition and business environment. We'll work to accelerate the transformation and upgrading of traditional industries, cultivate and expand strategic emerging industries. And stimulate new momentum for the innovative development of the digital economy. We also work to implement various measures to promote the development and growth of the private economy and effectively resolve the demands and suggestions raised by enterprises. Meanwhile, new home prices here in China declined on a monthly basis in October, yet still maintain a higher level compared to the previous year. Most of the first-tier cities witnessed a decrease in prices for newly built homes, with the exception of Shanghai, where prices saw a slight increase of two tenths of one percent. On an annual basis, however, new home prices in first-tier cities were generally sold at higher prices. Beijing and Shanghai reported price increases of two percent and four percent, respectively, while Guangzhou and Shenzhen saw declines in new home prices. New home prices in second and third tier cities fell on a monthly basis, registering declines of two tenths of a percent and five tenths of a percent, respectively. And for more on China's property market, I want to bring in Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. So, Dr. Zhou, according to China's Statistics Bureau, more Chinese cities reported a decline in home prices on average in October. So we saw 56 out of 70 large and medium-sized cities seeing month-on-month drops in new home prices. What do you make of the latest movements in home prices here in China? Yes, I would think that、uh, if we're talking about the number of the cities, they are they are not all of the cities are decreased the prices. But if you are see the ten the extent of the decrease is a very small, about zero point two or zero point four percent compared with last month. So I think that it's、uh, still a soft landing. I mean that's.、Uh, 
the when the people are trying to buy the houses, they may have different opinions. Some of them are coming from the investment demand, and some of them are trying to make the houses for their own living. So actually, that so I I believe that the investment is another the main factor that will affect the the prices. So it's a kind of a, a rebalance. I would believe is a good news. All right, Dr. Zhou, we're going to leave it there. Many thanks for your thoughts on all of this. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Thank you. In time now for our special series, Biz Focus, where we take a closer look at some of the most dynamic business sectors here in China and around the world. Now, recently, the second China-Africa Agricultural Cooperation Forum took place in the city of Sanya in Hainan province with a primary focus on China's efforts to advance agricultural modernization in Africa. Today, we'll zoom in on how China and Africa are teaming up in areas such as agriculture, poverty reduction, and rural development. China and Africa, divided by geography but united by vision, both host diverse peoples, unique cultures, and different stages of development. However, the two groups share the same goal in achieving better living standards. So, cooperation between the two sides have relied on many aspects such as agriculture, poverty alleviation, and rural development. Recently, under these issues, some thematic forums have been held in China's famous tourist hotspot Sanya in Hainan Province. What have been discussed? Take a look. In Africa, this is a session focusing on poverty reduction and rural development. These topics link China and its faraway friend Africa closer. In the past 40 years, China has lifted nearly 800 million people out of poverty. At the same time, the country has been lending hands to its African brothers in challenging poverty through agriculture. The history of China's aid to Africa and agriculture can be traced back to the 60s, such as building demonstration farms, experiment centers, and water conservancy projects, and sending agricultural experts. In China, there's a famous saying: "If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day; but if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime." That is what China is doing for Africa right now. For example. A grass called Junzhao was developed by Chinese scientists. It can address problems of water and soil loss. It can also be used for mushroom farming or as livestock feed. Now, this technology is available to Africa. It is easy to understand, to learn, and to apply Junzhao technology. The plant serves low-income farmers in Africa. China has been Africa's biggest trading partner for 14 consecutive years. Given the close economic ties, helping Africa helps China. When China helps Africa in terms of poverty alleviation, that helps China a lot. China is a 1.4 billion population. That means, out of its population, it also needs assistance indirectly from Africa. If Africans can produce enough and have excess, that means the excess will be exported to China. According to China's Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, agricultural trade between China and Africa is expected to exceed 10 billion U.S. dollars this year. Accordingly, cooperation between the two sides is expected to expand. 
Besides words on paper, my colleague Olivia He has followed a group of African delegates deep into China's countryside, where they hope to learn from China's experiences in agricultural and rural development. Well, Olivia, apart from fresh country air, what have you found? Thank you, Tianyu. In order to gain a better understanding of China's modern agriculture development, hundreds of African agricultural leaders visited a local village in Sanya, known for its advanced agricultural development. This journey included three stops. The first is visiting the Agricultural Science and Technology Innovation Center. Next is participating in planting new varieties themselves, and finally visiting rural co-creation center. Through these experiences, the guests were able to witness firsthand the intelligence behind China's agricultural development. Additionally, they gained insights into how China's rural revitalization strategies are implemented in real-life cases. You'll find more details in my report. Take a look. This is Tamal Sino Ocean Village, located in Sanya City, Hainan Province. As the sun rises, the village comes to life, awaiting the arrival of its hundreds of guests. The first stop on agenda is the Agricultural Science and Technology Innovation Center. Here, we'll have the opportunity to explore the comprehensive collections of the various crops, such as rice, pepper, vegetables, fruits, watermelons, and many others, as well as its entire production chain. And now, let's go inside and check it out. The plants we're seeing here were cultivated by the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Science and Sino Ocean Group. Besides traditional crops, there are also numerous new varieties that are emerging as local specialties, including cherry tomatoes, fruit cucumbers, bird's nest fruits, and wax apples. These varieties are well suited for cultivation in tropical areas. What African countries lack are technologies, innovations, and laboratory experiments. I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to learn all about these in China. For instance, the use of new crop varieties in glass greenhouses can be successfully implemented in Africa, as we have similar climate and natural resources. With our smart agriculture development, we can provide Africa with high-quality seedlings and crops that will significantly enhance their production value, particularly for crucial food crops. Furthermore, we help them generate valuable economic data, which will expedite the process of enhancing and modernizing the entire agricultural industry. After studying these new varieties, the guests paid a visit to the China-Africa Friendship Forest. During their visit, they planted a unique species called a durian honey tree, which is now cultivated in a local area. This tree represents Sanya's agricultural research achievements and signifies friendship, good fortune, and a strong bond between China and Africa. Africa has a lot of natural resources, land and all of that, but we got to learn how to maximize production, get the efficient use of the land. And this is what we see here that we can bring to Africa. After years of development, this once modest village has now transformed into an agricultural demonstration base and a vacation destination. Once again, it proves happiness is achieved through hard work. Olivia He, CGTN, Sanya. And that's going to do it for this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.